Well, hey church, I'm so glad that you could join with us today. Before we start, I just wanna say a massive thank you to you all for your grace in allowing Ruth and I some time off. We rested, we played, we ate nice food and drank nice wine. We went on bike rides and caught up with family and friends who we haven't seen for many months now. And so it was really needed and much appreciated. So thank you so much from both of us. And now we are back Sunday mornings, church online. We're gearing up for our team's night on the 5th of May. That's going to be incredible. So make sure you get to that. And today we are starting a brand new series for the next six weeks. We're going to be looking at uh, this series called Rooted. So let me read to you uh, as we start a core verse that will, will set the tone for the messages to come. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As Paul is writing his letter to the Ephesians, he's, he's painting a picture of the life that he wants for them, a life that I believe God wants for you and for me, a life that, that truly grasps hold of the, the vastness of God's love, a life that is filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The Passion Translation says, filled to overflowing. So what does that look like? What does a life like that look like? Well, I believe it looks like Jesus. He was a man, a human being like you and me, filled to the brim with the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but, but my goal in life is to be more like Jesus. He is the ultimate role model, isn't he? He's the, the perfect example of how we should live and how we should love. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at some things that we can be rooted in to help us become the men and the women that we were created to be. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I believe that if we can just start even in these six areas to be rooted and grounded in them, then our lives will be headed in the right direction. This idea of being rooted in something is its imagery that expresses the importance of, of what we're connected to, of, of what we're drawing life from. The root of a, of a plant or a tree draws nourishment and water from the ground that it's rooted in. And, and in that way, roots are essential for the plant to, to grow, to have life, to produce fruit. And in the same way, if we are to live a life 
filled to the measure with the fullness of God, then we need to be rooted in him. Now this agricultural metaphor, it's used throughout the Bible mainly because that's something that the people of uh, the biblical times would have understood. They'd have easily grasped the correlation between what Jesus was saying and their own lives. And I don't know, perhaps for us here in the 21st century, we need another metaphor that would be easier to grasp. Just last week, an engineer came to our house and installed a new router. I promise I am not making this up just for an illustration. This genuinely happened. We renewed our internet connection, our our internet contract, and we were offered an upgrade to this super fast fiber optic broadband with download speeds of up to 80 megabytes per second. I'm not going to pretend to know what that actually means, but what I do know it means is less buffering time when I'm watching YouTube or scrolling through social media. And he was going to upgrade us from average internet to super fast internet. And so this engineer came round with the promise of this super incredible high-speed connection, but before we could access that extra power, he needed to connect us to the right source. And so he disappeared for half an hour or so down the street to the exchange box and he disconnected us from uh, the lesser internet, if you will, and connected us to a new source. And then he returned and he installed our new router and, and that was it. We now have super duper faster than ever broadband so we can browse the internet and watch Netflix to our heart's content. Just like a plant would wither and die without adequate roots, and my broadband would be a subpar connected to cable rather than fiber optic, so we won't reach our full potential if we are not rooted in the right places. Okay, I'm possibly stretching this analogy a bit too far, but you get the picture, you get where I'm going. What source we're connected to, where we receive our power from, who we're rooted in makes all the difference in how we live our lives. And so with the time that I've got left today, I want to look at the subject rooted in God's presence rooted in God's presence. So what does it look like to be rooted in God's presence? In James chapter 4 it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a great promise, isn't it? In Acts chapter 3, times of refreshing come from being in his presence. In Psalm 16, in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. We see through the the life and the ministry of Jesus that, that as people enter his presence, as people come around him, they find forgiveness, they find healing, they find grace and love and purpose. The story of scripture, this this whole book that we uh, we have access to, it begins and ends with the presence of God. 
in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning, we get this picture of Adam and Eve spending time in the Garden of Eden with God, their Father, their Creator, relating to one another, loving one another, and being with one another. And now fast forward to the end of the Bible and we see a very similar picture but on a much larger scale because now all of heaven has collided with the whole of earth to make a perfect place for God to dwell with man. In the book of Revelation, Eden has returned and expanded into a new heaven and a new earth where all God's people can enjoy his presence eternally. We were created, we were designed to be rooted in God's presence. There's a lot of talk at the moment around post-lockdown anxiety about how stepping back into whatever the world will look like now, how that will feel, how even minor social interactions might, might be challenging for us after so long without really connecting with people other than through a screen. I heard a story the other day about one person who felt exhausted after going to the barbers because that trip came with 30 minutes of small talk. We're just, we're not used to that anymore, are we? These questions that are, are running through our minds, is it safe to return to work? Is it, is it safe to go to the shops? What if there's another spike and we're thrust back into lockdown again? There's, there's a bunch of questions that we just don't have the answers for. And I saw an Instagram post from Bethel the other day that read, most of the time, I don't need answers. I need a person. I need presence. We need God's presence. Pause. Rest. Connect with Jesus. In his presence is peace that passes all understanding. Pause. Rest. Connect. I love that. I love that. You know, after feeding the 5,000 with a boy's picnic, we read these words in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I sometimes wonder how many words I, I gloss over when I'm reading my Bible. How many important truths do I, do I overlook? Because uh, to my untrained and, and often uh, hurried eyes, they just don't seem very important. They almost fade into the background, seemingly lacking in significance. Well, I believe this could be one of those verses. It says, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, I'm not sure why he chose a, a mountain. Did the, the majestic view of uh, his creation remind him of their time together in his, in his very human flesh? Did he just feel a little bit closer to God being up on a mountain? Or maybe the remote location was simply the only place 
that he could be alone to get that that peace that he needed to connect with his father. You see, Jesus lived a busy life, always crowded by people vying for his attention, seeking to to spend time with him, to, to catch a glimpse of him, to be healed by him. And of course, it was his joy and his delight to do that. But just imagine for a moment how much he must have missed his father. It's hard to think that spending time in God's presence was something that Jesus had to, had to discipline himself to do. I doubt he needed to, to set a reminder or, or add it as a, an item on his to-do list. I have a feeling that that was what Jesus longed for. I think it was probably what he wanted to be doing all of the time. But even so, he was intentional about creating space, about prioritizing time in God's presence. And that's just one example of many. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray, the wilderness being a a quiet place, solitude, alone time. Even before his ministry really began, straight after being baptized, it says in Matthew 3 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he then went on to spend 40 days and 40 nights fasting and praying before then being tempted by the devil. You know, I don't know, we we often read this passage like, oh, isn't it typical that the devil will come to us at the end of a long day feeling tired and hangry and at our worst? But John Mark Comer frames uh, this scripture like this, and I'm not going to lie, you're probably going to hear me reference him many times in the coming weeks and months because I am loving his teaching at the minute. Get hold of his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It is an incredible read. So he says, we've got this scripture backwards. The wilderness isn't a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and of fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. Isn't that incredible? Time and time again, we see Jesus returning to the quiet place, even in his, in his busy ministry life to spend time in the presence of God. In fact, in Luke's gospel, you can see that the busier and more in demand and more famous Jesus became, the more he withdrew to his quiet place to be in the presence of his Father. We need to be rooted in God's presence. But if we're honest, for for a lot of us, it's quite often the opposite. When we get overly busy and, and life is hectic, the quiet place is the first thing to go rather than our first go-to thing. The first thing we lose is is time to just sit and be in God's presence. I don't have have time to sit and to read my Bible or to listen to God. I am far too busy 
for that. But the reality is that the busier we become, just like Jesus, the the more hectic life gets, the, the greater our need for God's presence. So if you're watching this right now and you're running through those excuses, I'm a full-time mum, I've got a demanding job that starts early in the morning, I'm an extrovert, I've got ADHD, etc., etc., stop for a minute and think about this. Jesus needed time in the quiet place. Jesus needed it a lot. So why do you think you don't? Okay, so, so how do we do this? How, how, do we, how do we root ourselves in God's presence? So let's just spend the last few minutes looking at a couple of ways, a couple of practical things that we can do to be intentional about rooting ourselves in God's presence. And the first one I want to say is this. It's the quiet time. Do you ever find that 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 quiet time alone with God can feel like a bit of a chore rather than an intimate connection with your heavenly father? I think, and and I know I found it in my life in the past, that a quiet time, it can become just another thing on the to-do list. Like, you know, listen to worship, uh, pray, read the Bible, and then on to the next chore. I've got the dishes to wash, or the food to make, or got to get to work, whatever it is. These times can become, they can become stale. And whilst it's great to be in the routine and the habit of setting time aside to be with God, of of setting aside that daily quiet time, I think maybe we just need to mix up what it is that we're doing. Our life group series at the minute, the prayer course, has been great for this. A few weeks ago, we spent 15 minutes just in silence waiting on God. Rather than talking to him, we just spent time hanging out in his presence. There's something really powerful about silence, about solitude. That's why Jesus went away to the quiet place alone. And it's not just about quietening the external noise, the people talking, the traffic, the busyness of life. It's also about quietening what's going on on the inside, encouraging that internal dialogue to just slow down and to pause for a moment. I don't know about you, but my mind is constantly thinking about what's next, moving from action to action, getting prepared, getting ready, and it actually becomes really challenging to just be present in the moment. It's something I definitely need to practice, and maybe you do too, practice pausing and quietening down all the noise, inside and out, and just be in the moment, be in God's presence. And then just this week, the the prayer course, life group series, talked about journaling, didn't it? And that's something I know Ruth finds really uh, helpful, writing down her thoughts and prayers, but also what she believes God is saying to her, what he's speaking over her life, because God is always talking, isn't he? We just need to listen more. The point here is that we shouldn't allow ourselves to become lethargic or or tired of our quiet time. Try something new. There is no set formula. Just do what works for you. A quiet time in God's presence should be life-giving, not life 
draining. And actually, this, this time spent with God shouldn't be something that we, we just do for 15, 30 minutes, an hour a day, and then, and then move on with the rest of the things that we've got to do. This quiet time should set the pace and the tone for the rest of our day. It's this idea of living to the measure of the fullness of God. And actually, our days are lived from the overflow of being in God's presence and all that it brings. Our quiet time doesn't end when we close our Bible or we say amen. It should continue throughout our day into conversations with colleagues, our attitude towards the bus driver, how we interact with our family. And let me just touch on one other practice that can help root us in God's presence. We've got our quiet time and and I would suggest that that would be part of our daily rhythm. But this this second one, it can fall into a, a weekly rhythm and it's the practice of Sabbath. Now this might seem like a, an old-fashioned idea or something that is not relevant for the 21st century. You might be saying that we no longer live under law, but we live under grace, so we don't need to do that. But I would argue that Sabbath is more necessary now than ever before. We could preach a whole six, eight, ten, twelve-week series on Sabbath alone, and, and maybe we will at some point. But for now, I just want to give you an idea into what this practice looks like and how it can help you root yourself in God's presence. And the creation narrative, it describes six days of God speaking into life, everything from, uh, from light to land, to seas and sky and plants. And, and then he goes on to create the birds of the air and the creatures of the sea and the land before creating man. And then on the seventh day, it says in Genesis chapter 2, God rested on the seventh day from all the work he'd done. And he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Have you ever noticed that Sabbath is the only practice that God commands? When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments both times, it wasn't praying, it wasn't worship, it wasn't attending church on a Sunday that was commanded, it was Sabbath. So this this traditional uh, Sabbath or Shabbat, it's a 24-hour period running from 20 minutes before sundown on Friday night through to the same time on a Saturday. And just like a quiet time is a moment in our day to pause and to stop and to be present, Sabbath is a moment in our week to do the same. 24 hours to, to stop work, to stop worrying, to stop wanting and just rest. And I'm not talking just about physical rest, but mental and emotional and spiritual rest. Sabbath encourages us to cease our striving and rest in God's love for us through simply being in his presence. And it's also an opportunity 
to delight in God. On the seventh day, what did God do? He'd spent all week creating all of the heavens and the earth and everything that we know. And we see throughout that process that he thought each and everything that he created was good and pleasing. And so on the seventh day, he stopped and he enjoyed his creation. This is something that we as a family are are trying to practice. And so for us, it looks like finishing off work when the boys finish school on a Friday and then powering down our phones and the TV and all of the screens. And we sit down and we share a nice meal together. We light two candles, which represent God speaking to the Israelites, commanding them to remember the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath. Ruth and I will spend time together on a Friday night over a glass of nice wine. Maybe we'll read, maybe we'll listen to worship music. And on Saturday, we'll try to get out into nature, into God's creation and just delight in everything that he has made and in being in each other's presence. There's no right or wrong way to do the Sabbath. And we are still learning and developing and adapting what it looks like for us. But I'm just trying to paint a picture of of what it can be like. You know, that feeling of when you've been working so hard, but you've got a holiday booked and it's coming up and it might be some time off, but you just can't wait to stop and to switch off and to relax. That's what Sabbath is every single week. It's more than just a day. It's a way of being in the world. It enables us to trade restlessness for restfulness, to trade hurry for slowness, distraction for delight, worry for trust, anxiety for peace, working for love to working from love. The purpose of Sabbath is to live in the Father's loving presence. We were created, we were designed to be rooted in the presence of God, to live filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, to learn more and more the depths of his love for us. Let me close with this. The psalmist writes, but as for me, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for all of creation. We thank you that it speaks, it sings, it shouts of your creativity and of your majesty. And Father God, enable us and empower us to just spend time in your presence. Not to be busy with life, but to be stilled and quiet and to rest in your presence. Help us to recognize the power of being rooted in your presence that actually out of that time we can be filled with your power, with your spirit, with your glory to enable us out of that overflow of being in your presence to live life like the men and women we were created to be. We thank you for everything that comes from being in your presence. And we say, more Lord. 
we say more, Lord. And so as we spend time this week, whether it's in our quiet times or whether we're practicing Sabbath, whatever it looks like for us, that God, you will, uh, in those times, in those uh, moments in the wilderness, in the quiet place with us and you in your presence, that you will bless us, that you will bless us. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.